Welcome to Midweek, a place where we dive deep into Scripture. So grab your Bible, a pen, and a notebook, and get ready to study God's Word. All right, so tonight, um, we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off, so if you open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. Um, I, I've labeled this, and if, if you're first time with us, when you walk into the table there, you can go out and get it if you want to. I, I have note outlines for you if you want to take notes. They're very simple, and if you don't, that's fine too. Uh, you're not going to offend me one bit, but I called it the necessity of inward conviction, but then I thought about it more and more, and, and, and uh, I, I put down other titles like, we could title this message, this teaching, Dealing with Your Boss. How many would like to hear that one right there? Dealing with your boss, okay? And if you work for New Beginnings, don't raise your hand at all if you're in this room because I'm your boss. Um, I, another title I had was How to Live in Babylon Without Becoming Babylon. You know, I thought that one right there would work. And then another one obviously would be In the World But Not of the World. So when it posts tomorrow, I don't know what the title's gonna be yet right now, but I'm gonna pick from one of those titles right there because I'm just not sure. If you give me too much time with something, my mind just starts to go off in so many different directions. So let me, let me, um, let me rehearse just a little bit to get us in the flow of chapter one. Daniel in uh, 605 BC, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he conquers Jerusalem and this deportation happens. It's the first of three conquerings of Jerusalem. But these guys are deported back to Babylon. And so Daniel, he's somewhere around 13 to 17 years of age when he's taken from his friends and his family, all the loved ones. So he's a really young guy. And the other three, and we remember we call them the Fab Four. Remember that last week? You know, the, we, you know them better. The other three are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are the new Babylonian names given to them. But they're taken there. And you've got to think, put yourself in Daniel's position. Because he comes from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is not some big city, and some of you have been here, you've been there, some of you have been to Jerusalem. It's, not a, it's bigger now, but it was very, very small back then. And so they're taking this young teenage boy, and they take him to Babylon. And Babylon is a huge metropolis. I mean, it's massive, guys. We described the size of it last week, and go back and see how big that was. He's leaving a place where they believe in one God, Yahweh God, and that's it, and that's right, and that's correct. And he's going to Babylon, and in this metropolis of a city, they have 1,197 temples to false idols. Can you imagine that? It's a polytheistic uh, 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 city, and so there's idols everywhere. And here he comes as this young man, and these other guys are with him, and they're coming to this city. Now, as he gets there, remember last week, um, that they go into the reindoctrination. Remember that one? And so in chapter one, we saw where they take these best and the brightest, they've deported them, taken them from Jerusalem, about 800 to 1,000 miles to Babylon. They put them in their school systems for three years. They teach them the literature of the land. That's the culture, the way things go, the way things operate. They re-educate them. So it's a re-indoctrination program to try to wipe out what they've came from so they operate and think like a Babylonian does. They also make sure that they are taught and they must learn the language of the Babylonians, probably the Chaldean language. So they have to learn that. But it doesn't even end right there. 
Because maybe the biggest reindoctrination that happens in their life is when their names are changed. Because if you remember last week, we talked about how um, their names, all their names, these four, these fat four of the many that were deported, these fat four, every one of their names carries the name of God in it. Do you remember that right there? Every one of their names. And when their names were changed, they were changed to names that carry the name of a Babylonian false idol now in their name. And so you now begin to see that um, there, what you understand from that is in the reindoctrination, they go after the identity of a person and try to change the identity of a person. And never forget, because we see it more now than we've ever seen it before, I think, in our country, and that is Satan goes after the identity of a person, does he not? He tries to change the identity. And all you have to do, in my opinion, my strong biblical opinion is, go back to Genesis chapter 3. They were created male and female in the image of God. Pretty clear, right? And then all of a sudden they sin, and what do they do? They get fig leaves to cover up. What's that? Simplistically, it's a new image, is it not? They're changing the image now of what God has created. They're covering up. No, I'm this, not that anymore. And so we're seeing that more and more in our society especially in the last so many years in our society. And I, I, you know, I know last week, I, I think I went crazy in that message. I'm not sure. But because I feel, right? How many were here? You know what I'm talking, right? I, I mean, um, because I, I'm very, I feel very strongly about the young people in our country. I mean, what they're doing to our kids and what they're trying to do and how they're trying to brainwash them. It really bothers me. And I mean, it bothers me. And I will not back down off that for anyone whatsoever. And so, you know, it's weird that for 6,000 years, and that's how long we've been here, not 100 million, but 6,000 years, we knew what a man and a woman were, right? But in the last 10 minutes, we don't know what that is anymore? How is that even possible, right? And so it's just insane to me where, where, where it's changed. But they've reindoctrinated these guys. Now, changing the identity means they're going to change them, or at least if Satan can get us to be shaken up, because... He, he goes after our, even as adult Christians, he goes after our, 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 um, our identity, thus our security. Any amens to that one? Just to shake it up a bit. If we can doubt who we are in God, if we can doubt that we're saved, if we can doubt this, he'll go after us. He'll go in the head. But they go after the kids. They went after it here in Babylon in, uh, this would be 2,600 years ago, thereabouts, they did it in Nazi Germany, and we're seeing it now today in, in our world. Abraham Lincoln said this. This is one of my favorite Abraham Lincoln quotes. He said this, The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. And he was right, right? And Satan understands to go through these channels. He goes after the kids because that will be the thinking in the next generation in government positions. And so we've seen, we're seeing this right now. Now, Daniel... He's a teenage boy far from home. And he will be faced, and you'll see tonight, with an instant moral challenge. And he's, a, and he's young. An instant moral challenge. And that's what we're going to look at today. What does he do? How does he handle it? What's going to happen? And so chapter 1 and verse 8, here we go. Let's pick up the story. And hopefully you brought your Bibles. Because you need your Bibles. Because that's going to keep your thinking right. But Daniel made up his mind, say, made up his mind. He made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with uh, the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. 
Bullet point first in your notes if you're taking notes. An inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure. An inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure. Now, they want Daniel and the guys to eat food of the, the king's food and to drink the wine of the king. But it says that Daniel made up his mind. Say, made up his mind. He's made up his mind that he's not going to do that. Because it says that he'll defile himself if he does that, okay? And I like that. Let me segue quick to the side and come back to it. When you make up your mind about something, there's an inner conviction. And by the way, I think the most successful people in the world, don't they have an inner conviction? Don't they make up their mind? Don't they set their mind that this is what they're going to do and this is where they're going to go in life? Any amens of that one right there? And no one's going to talk them out of it and no one's going to sway them whatsoever. So this guy's got an inner conviction. This is where he's going. He's not going to defile himself whatsoever. Now, <clears throat> Jesus, and I think we talked about this maybe three, four weeks ago, maybe longer in the John series. But Jesus, when he's coming from the north Galilee area in, in Israel to the south for the last week of his life, it says that he comes to a certain spot and it says he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And King James says that he set his face like a flint. In other words, he's singular a purpose that he's going to go there. Guys, does he know he's going to be crucified? Question, does he know what crucifixion's about? You better believe he does. And yet he's determined. He's singular of focus. He's going to go there. He set his mind. He set his face like a flint. He's determined. Now you think of Daniel. You think of Jesus. They're both determined. They have an inner conviction. An inner conviction that can overcome any outward pressure. Guys, we have to, this is what Christians need to learn. If we don't get an inner conviction that God is God and that God is a creator and that he came down and died on the cross and no one's going to talk you out of the historical evidence that this is a true thing, then when you get that in you, nothing's going to shake you, amen? I don't care what anybody says. I don't care because they're going to come at you with a lot of feeling. We don't go with feeling. We go with facts. We go with historical facts. Amen to that one right there. Because that's what they're going to come at you. They're going to try to work on your feelings. Now, the big question is this. Daniel's a teenager. Where does he get an inward conviction from? Louder? He got it from his parents. That's right. You think they brought him up in the ways of Yahweh? You better believe it. You think they brought him up in the, in the religious training of, of, his, uh, of the Jews? You better believe it. This is what makes me... You guys want to know what makes Pastor Jim crazy? There's like a bunch of things. I'll give you one right now, okay? There's a bunch, and that's why I'm crazy right now. But, but there's things that... I don't, I don't get it. And if you're watching from home, I'm going to talk to you, okay? If you have kids, I don't understand. And I've watched this, and, and I used to be like... You know what? Robert Arroyo is here, student ministries director, and Charlie Headley used to be that. I used to be that back in like the 1500s, no, back in the 1980s, it was a long time ago, I was at a different church, that's how I, where I came from, I was a youth pastor, back when I was younger, but I would, I would see parents, and they wouldn't have their kids in church, they wouldn't grow up, do you realize you get one chance to raise these kids, do you get one chance to bring them up in the ways of God, I mean, you get one opportunity, and then I've shared this story with you before, it happened many, many times, parents would come up to me, and they would say, Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, can you talk to my teenager? They don't want God. They don't want to come to church. And in the beginning, I would sit there and go, sure, I'll talk to them. It wouldn't help. And then after I got a little bit more seasoned, 
And I understood that these parents who were asking me didn't even come to church themselves. And they would ask me, can you talk to my kid? I got enough guts, and I still have plenty of guts now, that I would ask the parents, do you go to church? They, oh, oh, oh. Well, no, I go, what, what makes you think I can get them to come? If you're not attending, if you choose not to be here, you think I turn water to wine? I can't do it. There's nothing. I'll talk to him, but there's no way. I, I, just me talking is not going to change anyone. You see, you have to bring them up at a young age all the way through in the fellowship because they're going out every day and they're getting brainwashed and fed by the indoctrination of the world. Any amens? Amen. So you've got to bring them up in church, not at home, in the fellowship. You've got to do it. And if you don't, you are doing your child an injustice. Any amens of that one right there? Now, amen and amen. I like that one. Okay. Now, big question. Why doesn't Daniel want to eat the buffet of the king? It's the buffet of the king. Come on, guys. You ever been to a nice buffet? This is the buffet of the king. You don't think there's a lot of good food there? Oh, you better believe it. What? I found, you know, typically you'd say, oh, yeah, I'd like to eat there. But he says no, because, and the key is, he doesn't want to defile himself. Okay, so let me give you three, not in your notes, but three possibilities of why he's saying no. The third one is the one I think is the one, but I got to give you the first two. Okay, the first reason why possibly he will not eat of the king's buffet is because do the Jews have dietary laws? Yes. Oh yeah, boy, do they, yeah. If you read the Old Testament, you know Moses didn't just come down with the Ten Commandments. He came down with a bunch of laws, and a lot of them are dietary. And we've shared before that the reason for those dietary laws, many of them are because as they're traveling through the desert to the promised land, they're traveling around a lot of pagan people groups, right? And a lot of these people groups would use certain foods in their sacrifices to their idols and to their gods. And so God, as he's bringing this nation of which the Messiah will come through, traveling through the desert, he has to make sure that they come out from among them because they're a brand new nation and do not operate or take on the habits of the surrounding nations. Amen? And so they have all these dietary laws. And so Daniel lives in that. Now, when Jesus comes along, Mark chapter 7, Jesus declares all foods clean. You can eat whatever you want. We know that from Acts 10, Acts 11. Remember the sheet comes down? Anybody remember that story right there? God says, you know, go ahead, kill, eat. You know, what I've declared clean, it's clean now. Can you imagine Peter the first time he eats a cheeseburger? Or baby back ribs? Garnitas? Then that would have been awesome. So that's the first reason. Now, there's a, let me give you a second reason. It's a quick reason. Because many of these idol worshipers, they would sacrifice food to the gods, right? And then they would eat it. That's one of the big um, theological battles with Paul in Corinthians in the New Testament. He will, he'd gladly eat the meat sacrificed to idols because he knows there's no such thing as an idol and it's the best meat, but he knows it'll offend people. That's a big beef in the New Testament. And there's a lot of good teaching out of that right there. So that might be another reason. But here's why I think. Because <clears throat> it's the king's buffet, right? Now, if you look back at chapter 1, a few verses, look back at verse 2. Look back at it in your notes, in your Bible. 
When they were brought back, when they were deported, conquered, and they brought to Babylon, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the, say it, the articles or vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Remember last week, opening, they relativized the absolute. Remember that? Say yes, please, somebody. In other words, they made God common, like anything else. So Nebuchadnezzar brings back 5,400, at least 5,400 vessels from the temple of God, and he brings them and he puts them in the house of his false idols. So these vessels include pans, pots, cups, everything of gold and things like that. So it is highly possible, and I think it is, that when Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the king's food, it's not the food so much. It's what they're going to serve it on. Because these are the vessels of God. These are the holy vessels. And you will see, if you stick with us, in a couple months, when we get on to Daniel chapter 5, you're going to find that these vessels of God become major players in the downfall of Babylon as an empire. They go down because of these vessels of God and the way they've relativized the absolute or made God just comment like everything else. Now, let's move on. <clears throat> Does that make sense though? Yes. Okay. Now, <clears throat> the question I have next is this. They, how's Daniel going to get out of this one? That you got to eat off this stuff or how's he going to get out of this one? Well, here's where we can learn and why, glean, I should say, and how, why I said I would, I almost thought about calling it how to deal with your boss. Okay, when, especially when they ask you to do things that are like, that's kind of unethical. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you work here, don't raise your hand. <laughs> no. So bullet point, here we go. Daniel displays wisdom in building a bridge with his superior. Daniel displays wisdom in building a bridge with his superior. This is very important. Now, back at verse 8. Let me read it again. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, notice what Daniel did. Did he demand? Did he say, this is what you're going to do? This is what I want. He sought what? Permission. So he's dialoguing with his superior, whose name is Ashpenaz, and you find his name somewhere. Oh, verse 3. Somewhere. You, you can go back and see it later. His name is Ashpenaz. So he seeks permission. Now, there's a verse in your notes that I want us all to read together. It's Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. I'm going to count to three. Is it in your notes? Good. Because I did type those up. Um, here we go. One, two, three. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. Okay. Okay, th this is a real biggie, okay? So Daniel is dialoguing with the boss. He's not demanding and it says, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. See, you can just spit out truth all day long. But you may be spitting out in a way that nobody wants to accept. It may be in a wrong attitude, maybe in anger. See, this is one of these things that 
I know I have to work on all the time standing up here in this pulpit area. Because I could say things that may be true, but have I made it palatable for somebody to understand and accept it? And I have to think about things like that. Now, do I always get it right? No, that's why sometimes you're probably sitting out there and I'll make a blunt statement and you're going, oh! Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. So I, I, I have to be careful with that too. But Daniel is making knowledge acceptable. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Now, can I take you deeper into this whole idea of why Daniel knows how to handle the situation and why Daniel is operating? Can I take you further? You, you, you really want to? Okay, I'll take your word for it. Okay. Now, at this time, is Daniel well acquainted with the writings of Jeremiah? Yes, he is. Okay, good. I'm glad you agree. So let's see what Jeremiah writes. Keep your marker right here. Turn to your left a little bit to Jeremiah chapter 29. We've gone, we've gone over before on Tuesday night here. But let's check out and see something. In, in there is that well-known verse that we probably won't get to. We'll cut off right before that. But watch this. This is a Jeremiah writing. Jeremiah was... Um, He's prophesying before, the t- before Daniel begins to prophesy and write down. He's prophesying from Jerusalem, the same thing that um, Ezekiel's prophesying from Babylon, that they will be conquered in Jerusalem and they will be deported. He's, he's, they're both prophesying. Here's what Jeremiah writes about it and what Daniel reads about it in the aftermath of his writing. Verse 4 through 10. Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God sent them into exile, guys. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease. Here is one of my top five verses in Jeremiah. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. Keep that thought there. Now verse eight. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream. In other words, don't listen to this. Listen to this what he's saying for they prophesy falsely to you in my name I have not sent them declares the Lord for thus says the Lord when 70 years have been completed for Babylon in other words you're going to be deported there and you will spend 70 years that was the prophecy and that came to pass I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you bring you back to this place. That's right. Now, now let's think about the whole picture now. Daniel is talking to this man. He's using wisdom, building a bridge to his superior. He knows what Jeremiah said. What did Jeremiah tell the Jews to do when they're in Babylon for 70 years? We just read it. Build, plant, marry, Seek the welfare of the city. In its welfare, you'll have welfare. Right? In other words, he's saying, don't make it an, an us versus them. 
Is that something that makes sense? Don't make it an us versus them. Now, if you take that idea right there and you move to Daniel, who's dialoguing with Ashpenaz, he knows what Jeremiah is saying. He knows we're not going to make this an us versus them. I'm going to make the best of my life in Babylon while the 70 years while we are here. It came in 605 BC. That means uh, around uh, five, uh, seven, five, 535 uh, BC, then we should be going back home to Jerusalem, whoever wants to go back. And in 539, it was conquered, and they were set free a few years later by the Persian king. Now, so don't make it an us versus them. So here's the way I would say it. When you come up to situations like Daniel's, and it's your boss, or it's whatever, you know, you want to use wisdom. What's wisdom? In your job, per se. Don't make a protest as some outsider you versus the boss or you versus the company. You need to protest as a participant in the system. Did that make sense? No, did that make sense? Because if you're with them, I'm, and it's welfare, you find welfare. Remember that statement? If you protest as a participant in the system, that means you're one of the people. But if you protest as a, a me versus you, you're going to lose every time. And it's no wisdom in that right there whatsoever. So I want to be like Daniel. Now, so this hits us with the big question. You could turn back to Daniel chapter 1. The question is, as I said, it might be one of my topics, uh, titles for it. How do we live in Babylon without becoming part of Babylon, right? You could say, how do you live in the world here without becoming part of the world, like the system, right? How do you do that? Okay, we're going to go, we'll what, see what Daniel did. Because Daniel's very smart. He's very wise for a young guy. Look at verse 9 and 10. Now God granted Daniel favor, say favor, and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of, the, of my lord the king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Is it kind of an intense situation? Yeah. I kind of think so for Ashpenaz, right? So here's the first bullet point. You know, Daniel finds favor because Daniel listened. Daniel listened and earned the man's trust. Daniel listened and earned the man's trust. Question. Is listening a lost art? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's a lost art, and that's an understatement. Let's be honest in this room. How many of us in this room, when we're, somebody's talking to us and we have a complete disagreement with them, we have already got a rebuttal in our head and we're not hearing anything they're saying? Raise your hand. I just want to know. Okay. I want to know who's on my team here. Because I'm that way. That's the way I am. And it's a real hard thing to break, is it not? Because you and I both know we're smarter, right? Amen. <laughs> we think we are. Um, but this is what happens. This is where people go wrong because I've got my rebuttal. I, I'm not hearing. I already know what I'm going to tell you and I'm, I'm going to go out. Listen, listen. Let me give you another reason why we don't listen. It's an angry generation, is it not? Yes. You know why I, I think the major cause of anger in America. You guys know why, right? Do you remember why? No, no I'll tell you why. Fatherless families. It's a very simple answer. Just look at the stats. Every ethnicity, black, Mexican, white, 
Yeah, the fatherless rates are rising, 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 rising. And you look at the kids that come out of those families, higher percentages end up in prison. Uh, kids, uh, girls have kids out of wedlock, um, drug addictions. They end up getting married and getting divorced. These are high percentages, guys. High percentages. Guys, why do you think the South Koreans are so um, successful in America and around the world? Because their families do not break up. Where here in America, our families break up at high percentages, not their families. I mean, a single mother, it's very rare there. Very rare. So the family structure is very important. Why do the Nigerians come here to America and they're some of the most successful people in America? Why is it? And oh, and oh gosh, you mean in the systemic, systemically racist nation, they're successful, you know. So I'll leave it alone. It gets me. See, that's why you don't listen to cliches. Look at the facts. They're highly successful. You know why? Family stays together. Education's important. Respect in the family. These are very important things. And if you don't have, look, if there's no dad at home, is there someone there to make sure the kid does the homework? Is there someone there to make sure the kid does? Look, I feel for single moms, but our country has reversed its effect of positivity towards single moms because back in the 60s, Johnson put the welfare state in and we give people money for not getting married. Any amens? And that's what we've done. And we can't undo the system. And that's the way the system is. But it's hurting it's hurting people. And so fatherless kids, they grow up and they grow up angry. Just grow up angry, my friends, besides all the other addictions and family that cause it. Am I making sense? Yeah. Okay, let me, let me show you something. Here's it. James, Jesus' half-brother. Watch what he says about how to deal, how to, how, about listening and stuff. James 1.19. Read it with me. One, two, three. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Be quick to what? Be slow to what? And be slow to what? See my angry face? But we do the opposite, huh? Huh? Somebody says something, we get angry right away. And we don't hear a thing they say. Or I should say, we get angry right away, we just start spewing it, and we don't hear a word they say. We do the reverse of what James said to our own destruction, to our own destruction. Now, guys, <clears throat> in that bullet point, look back at your bullet point that you filled up. Daniel listened and earned the man's what? Trust. Earned his trust, okay. So the question now is, why would I say, how do I know he earned the man's trust? Well, look at verse 10. It says, and the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am what? Afraid. Louder, I am what? Afraid. I'm afraid. Okay. Look up, everybody. <clears throat> the man admits fear. Are men likely to admit fear? <laughs> you need the jaws of life for a man to admit anything, man. Say anything about what they're feeling inside. This guy admits fear. He admits fear. If you're going to admit fear to somebody, that means you trust that person, right? Because you're opening up your life and you're saying something down deep inside. Does Daniel sit there and say, oh, you're afraid, huh? Does he say, I'm going to manipulate. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go on a hunger strike and I'm going to walk around like this. You know, I'm going to get your head cut off. Does he do that? No, he doesn't, huh? Uh-uh. He continues to earn the man's trust. He does the right thing. Now, let's move on. Let's see what else Daniel does. Verse 11, 12, 13. 
But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the Hebrew names, remember, before they were changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now, honestly, how many in the room besides me would be like, oh gosh, we have to eat that, Daniel? <laughs> Raise your hand. Vegetables and water, really? And I saw carnitas at the king's table, man. Okay, so verse 13. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Okay, good. Now, now we find out here, oh, bullet point. Daniel gives the man respect. How does he give the man respect? Well, he says, can we try a control test? Can we, can we try this? We'll eat vegetables and drink water only f, uh, for 10 days and, and let the other guys in the king's court, they can eat all the good food and everything. But here's where he gains the respect part. Who does he give the final say to? Ashpenaz. He gives him the final. He says, you be the deciding vote on the Mr. Babylon beauty pageant <laughs> and see which of us looks better. Right? He gives him the deciding vote. He's not pushy. He's not demanding. He's not saying the Bible says. He says, you, you be the deciding factor. That's respect, guys. Daniel's not taking the decision into his own hands. He says, you be the decider. Now, <clears throat> what's the big issue here? What, no, no, what's the big issue with them? What is Ashpenaz worried about? What? Yeah, okay, let me back. Yeah, we know his head. We got that, okay. What's he, what will cause his head to roll? What? They won't look healthy. They won't look healthy. Is that image? Is image big in America? Is image, somebody, I read a couple years back, that somebody's saying that, Image is the new idolatry in America. That's just what it is, the new idolatry. Now, I want you to think about Ashpenaz. He thinks that eating the king's food and drinking the king's drink, that's the way to have a good image, correct? It never occurs to him that there could be another way to create a good image, right? That's never occurred to him. But Daniel knows there is another way to create a good image, and that is to be obedient to? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's something, have you ever noticed, and I've counseled married couples so many times over the decades, I rarely counsel anymore, but oh my gosh, that I've had a few people tell me the next time I get married, I'm marrying for personality. You know why? Because they married for looks and they, they, they married Satan's daughters. I don't know. What's that. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just the messenger, okay? Don't get mad at me. But haven't you ever noticed as a Christian when people really follow God, there's like this, this cool thing about them? Has anybody noticed that? There's this peace in them. There's this joy. There's this calm. There's like, I'm a peacemaker. 
I'm not going to cause crisis in this relationship. See, there's a longer lasting inner beauty. Anybody remember the verse in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4, 16? Though the outer man is decaying day by day, the inner man is renewing. Anybody notice that? Remember that verse? That's a cool verse. Because there's something about the inside of a person that God makes more beautiful and more beautiful and more beautiful. Guys, remember when, when, gosh, that's the time? Oh my gosh, okay. Um, so remember when, can I say this part? Okay, good, because I was going to. Um, remember when they bring, they, they, they march the brothers before Samuel, who's going to be the next king? Because King Saul blew it. And then first the older brother comes in, he's a tall, good-looking guy. What does Samuel say? Surely, that guy looks good, man. That's the guy. And what's he basing it off? What was King Saul all about? Looks. He was the tallest guy, and he was a real handsome guy, right? And God goes, are you kidding me, Sam? No, no. And all the brothers come through, and he goes, you got any more? And David's out there in the pasture. They don't even bring him in. You know, so, and there's teaching on that, too, as to why. But, they, and he, he, tells, he tells Sam, he goes, you look at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. It's the heart of a person that God looks at. There's something that's very attractive about the heart of a person. Amen? Amen. Now, sidebar. Was it risky to leave, to leave the final decision of whether they're going to um, eat the king's food or not in the hands of Ashpenaz? Yeah, it was. So who is Daniel trusting? God. Why can he trust God? Why? Let me show you why. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and his hand. Who gave, who was in control of, of, getting, of sending the king of Judah, southern Israel, into the hands of the Babylonians? God. God's in control. Now, look over here. Verse 9. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Who... Uh, who is, is moving the chess pieces of, in that situation? God. Oh, okay. So now we find out that Daniel understands that God is the unseen director in the screenplay, right? Right? Yeah. So we're, we're seeing that right there. Good, okay. Now, next bullet point. Daniel gave the man time. You got to give people time. How much time did he give the man to, make a deci- to show a decision that could be made? How many days? It was 10 days, that's right. Now, this is important. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Be sensitive to the needs of others. They need space. They need time to be convinced. Let me give an example. Um, When you talk to somebody about Jesus, and hopefully we all get opportunities, every night pray, God, give me opportunity with boldness. And watch God answer the prayer. Now, <clears throat> when you share with somebody, you got to remember that it takes people time to digest this stuff. It took five years for me to digest Christianity before I said yes. I've shared before here on Tuesday night that when I give the altar call on Sunday mornings, do you think I think every one of those people saved when they look up at me? No. Jim, no. A lot of them, I'm just breaking ground. That's all I'm doing. I'm breaking ground. Because it takes time, and it takes time for some. Some of them are getting saved, but I'm going to keep breaking ground. It's no different than if we just moved it small down, and I was talking one-on-one to a person. It's no different. Remember that. So it takes time. Now, think of how radical 
for a person who doesn't really know much about Christianity, the message is, hey, I want you to believe in God. Oh, by the way, who came down and became a man. Who, by the way, tell him I said hi. Who, by the way, went to a cross and shed his blood on the cross because, oh, by the way, you're a sinner and sin's really, really bad and the only way for you to make it there is for his blood and you'd accept him and he's gonna get beat up pretty bad and they're gonna bury him. Oh, and then he's gonna rise from the dead. Is that an outrageous kind of crazy weird message to hear? You better, for you and I, it's like, oh, that sounds normal. Not to them. That takes time, guys. You got to digest. Give them time. He's giving the guy time, all right? Now, I'll let you read uh, some Proverbs 16, 7 on your own. I don't have time to go there. But it just says, putting all of Daniel together, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's a good verse, huh? It's a real good verse. Okay, let's move on. Verse 14, 15, 16. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. He goes, okay, sounds good. I'll, we'll try it. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter. I love that line. <laughs> they're better and they're fatter. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Uh, let's go have a donut. Amen. <laughs> fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold the choice food and wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Isn't that great? God honors them. They're obedient to God. I'm not going to defile myself. And the 10 days, you're better and you're fatter. Say fatter. fatter. Did I feel good to say that out loud? God blesses their physical appearance, but God doesn't stop there with the blessing. Because not only does he bless them physically, watch how he blesses them for their obedience. Look at 17 to 20. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams, which will come into play in the prophecies of this book, right? Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for the matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better. So they're ten times, but he sees it, and he doesn't know they're fatter because he's just seen them now, okay? They're ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. We'll hold the last verse for the very end. Now, bullet point. As, God on, as they honored God, God honored them with, the thing, with things the indoctrination could not give them. Whoa. They're schooled in the entire literature, education, everything of the empire, but all the schooling that they gave them did not give them the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding that God gave them. Is that wild? I, I really like that because here's I, here's, I think, an application. Wouldn't you like to be the... Look, whatever your specific field is where you work, whatever it is, everybody's getting specific in something as you progress in life. Wouldn't you like to be the wisest at that place? Yes or no? I mean, you'll be in, you'll be in demand. You'll be in demand, right? You can be. 
You can be the wisest person there in your specific area. Study the word of God. Do what God says. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives all men generously without reproach. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the knowledge. And you'll be the go-to person as you obey God and God's word. Any amen? amen? I like that. I like that a lot. Now, let me close. And this week I only have one close. I don't have two. Sorry about that. Okay. Let me close with something that didn't happen. It didn't happen. But it could have. Okay. Let me try to piece this together. When they tell Daniel and the guys, you have to eat the king's food and drink the king's drink. Let's, let's just say that in Babylon, that would be one form of political correctness. Okay? We know we're inundated with political correctness in our nation. We know that, which means we're stupid. I'll just be honest with you. Right? Because you can't dialogue anymore. You just have to agree. It's social construct. It's social conditioning. But I reject it. So there, you have to do this. Now, for us, one of the ways they, um, there is uh, political correctness for us is we believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Amen? But political correctness says, oh, no, 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 no. You can't say those things because you've got to recognize all religions all have validity, all have their own path to God. Are you following me? See, that's what they say. That's what they're, they're pushing on us. So with that said, you need to stop right there, Jim. You can't say those things. Why? And so therefore, they want me and they want you not to speak. On the, you just need to keep that to yourself. You follow me? That's political correctness. That's living according to the culture. That's what they're saying. So Daniel and the guys are told, you know, you, you have to eat this stuff. That's politically correct here in Babylon. Of course, we know the story, Daniel's wisdom, everything. But what if, what if Ashpenaz said, no, do your 10-day test? No going to call any shots here. You can eat the food, you're going to drink the wine, and you're going to eat it and drink it in the vessels on which we serve it. I have a question for you. Knowing that Daniel would not be some crazy, rebellious, screaming, let's revolt against everything, do you think Daniel would have given in? I don't think so. I think he would have been ready to suffer any consequence. How do you know that, Jim? Because all I have to do is read chapter 3. When they build the big statue, remember? And political correctness says, you're going to bow to it. And Daniel says, I ain't bowing. I ain't bowing. And of course, that's when they get thrown into the, lion, into the fire furnace. So he's ready. He's ready to face whatever. And why? He has an inward conviction. They can withstand any outward pressure. Did you hear what I said? He has the inward conviction that can withstand any outward pressure. And the more and more we proceed forth in our country, we really need to have that inward conviction because we face outward pressure. Outward pressure. Now, God honors Daniel. And watch how he honors him. Last verse. Watch this. And Daniel continued 
until the first year of Cyrus the king. Who's Cyrus the king of? Persia. Not Babylon. So what does that tell you? Daniel outlasted Nebuchadnezzar, the king, and the Babylonian empire because the Persians conquered Babylon. We'll see that in chapter 5. They conquer them, but Daniel outlives them. Daniel outlasts them because Daniel honored God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We'll stop right there. Next week, we're going to, um, we're going to look at Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the dream of the statue. Now we get into one of the first great prophecies of this Old Testament that it's going to be good. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we are so grateful for your word, God, how it teaches us how to handle situations. We have the favor of God upon us. When our ways are pleasing to you, you make even our enemies to be at peace with us. Thank you, God. Let's remember that. Let us develop the inward conviction through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that we don't have to bend. We can withstand the outward pressure because of an inward conviction. You see, he made up his mind. So he was set as a teenager. He made up his mind. Came up in church. Parents taught him right. He made up his mind. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for that example. Now, we ask your blessings on everyone here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, Amen. Amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.